After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find a way to do it, because all the people hung on his words. This is the word of the Lord. So, let's look afresh at Jesus, our ruler and king, our everything. Let me pray, and then we'll take a look at this passage together. Father God, we thank you so much that the Lord Jesus is a good king, ruler, rescuer, who sacrificed for us, who loves us, who us before his own interests. This morning, as we look at him, would we see him afresh? And we ask that in his great name. Amen. And if you'd like to follow along, we are in Luke chapter 19, um, and I'm thinking probably page 1043, four, Luke chapter 19. Uh, if you've not met me, I see a couple of faces that I haven't seen before. Um, my name is Andrew, um, and I'm the curate uh, here at St. Helens. Curate's like a, a trainee vicar, so that's 
That's my role. So we've been working through this um, series on Luke for a number of weeks now. And uh, since the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Luke has been telling us about this upside-down kingdom that Jesus is going to bring in. A kingdom where the people at the bottom, who have no power, are going to be welcomed in on a level with the people at the top, who seem to have all the power. And actually, as we've gone through, we've seen again and again that those people at the top in Jewish society who seemed to have all the power, those people who seem to run everything, actually, they have no interest in coming in. Because coming to Jesus will mean being humble, will mean sacrificing their pride. Well, today's passage is the first time in Luke's Gospel that Jesus has been talking about this kingdom, but it's the first time he is actually addressed as king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that video was to get us started thinking about, but what kind of king is he? I don't know whether when I say king that kind of brings out positive or negative ideas. Uh, we don't sort of really think of our queen in quite the same way uh, as part of our government. And rulers around the world, of course, you know, sometimes there are good kings, sometimes there are bad. Well, we know what kind of king the people in Jesus' day were looking for. They were looking for a Messiah, a Christ, who would enter Jerusalem, kick out the Romans, and establish uh, the new kingdom, bring peace, prosperity, and prestige back to their nation. But this entry into Jerusalem that we've seen today, this is not that. Instead of a king riding in on a mighty war horse, he rides in humble, mounted on a donkey. Well, so far, so Palm Sunday. Um, if I said Palm Sunday and we did sort of a word association game and you shouted out things, well, palm crosses, I assume, would be one. Donkey would probably be another. Um, in fact, uh, a friend of mine uh, who I was at Bible college with, their church is so committed to having an annual Palm Sunday procession with a donkey that when their local donkey put the donkey hire day price up to £300, and this is sort of in Leicester, rural Leicester, they bought their own donkey. And so the church now has its own donkey uh, in a field near the church. Someone's on a rotor to feed it and muck it out and all that sort of thing, just so that they can have a donkey for their Palm Sunday march. I don't think we're going to have one later this afternoon, but if we do, bonus. Donkeys, palm crosses. As Jesus rides in, it's it's almost a scene made for children's Bibles. In fact, as we were looking over this passage as a staff team um, 10 days ago, I realised that some of my ideas about Palm Sunday owe more to the kind of images fixed in my mind from children's Bibles than from what is actually in the words of the Gospels. Because it's a story that starts in joy, certainly. We see that, verse uh, 35, they brought the cult to Jesus threw their cloaks on it and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a journey that starts in joy, but it ends in tears. Verse 41. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you 
and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. It's not such a children's passage. After all, it begins with joy, but it ends in tears and blood and destruction and plots for murder. Verse 47, Every day Jesus was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. So where does it all go wrong? It starts so well. Where does it all go wrong? Well, the thing is, it doesn't go wrong. This is exactly Jesus' plan. This is exactly how he wanted things to work out. We've known since chapter 9 of the Gospel that whatever is going to happen to complete this bringing in of Jesus' kingdom, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. Chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Luke writes, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, The phrase is, Jesus set his face for Jerusalem. And from there until now, he has been resolutely striding forth, heading for, inevitably heading towards Jerusalem. And including that first incident where Luke says he set his face to Jerusalem, and up to now in Luke's Gospel, nine chapters later, ten chapters later, there are nine times, Jesus tells his disciples nine times that he is headed for Jerusalem. That is his mission. The last one is in chapter 18, verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. And now they are here. Verse 28. And just to flick forwards to the end of your Bibles um, because it's interesting to look at this map. So inside the front cover of the back of your Bible, so very easy to find, it's literally the last two pages of the Bible. Oh, and try not to lose the page as I've just done in Luke, keep your finger there. Um, But here we see the journey that Jesus would have taken. So on the right, it's quite small writing, but you can see a road that heads off that says to Bethany. So it says uh, that they are coming from Bethany and Bethphage and they are coming in down the Mount of Olives. So this is the Mount of Olives on the right-hand side. And they come down this path in through the east gate of the temple. And that fits up with the geography. If you can read um, the gradient lines there, you'll see that the Mount of Olives is higher than Jerusalem. So they're coming down. uh, So that makes sense of uh, verse 37 and 41, which I've lost, Luke chapter 19. And verse 37, we're told... Uh, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, approaching Jerusalem, the whole cloud of disciples began joyfully to praise God. And as I say, the Mount of Olives is higher than Jerusalem. So verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Also, as they approach Jerusalem, Jesus sends his disciples for this cult. And we think, well, why particularly that? Because he wants to evoke Old Testament messianic prophecies of the coming king. So you'd expect a king perhaps to ride in on a war horse, but actually they were expecting their Messiah to come on a donkey. This is Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is deliberately provoking them deliberately making them think this is the time, now is the time, the Messiah is coming. This is when the Romans will be kicked out. This is when their moment is happening. 
and I don't know if any of you noticed as Boko was reading, in Luke's Gospel, actually no mention of palms. Another surprise. We know from John's Gospel, it was the crowd of people in the temple, in Jerusalem, they hear Jesus is coming, and they cut down the palm fronds, and they rush out to join this crowd of Jesus with his disciples. The two groups meet, and together they sing in triumph as Jesus enters. It is Jesus wanting to make this big show, this big celebration, which again should be a surprise to us. Remember again and again through, G- through the Gospels, as Jesus heals people, he says to them, now don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what has happened to you. And even when the disciples first work out, they first say, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And now, all of a sudden, he wants everybody to know. And he's been to the Passover before, and previously when he came to the Passover, he didn't tell anyone he was coming. He just sneaked in quietly. The uh, political and social situation in Palestine was like a powder keg waiting to explode. And again and again, Jesus has snuffed out the match as it started to light, to keep things stable. But now, he himself lights the match and drops it into the powder keg. This is what J.C. Ryle writes about this. He says, The reasons of our Lord's conduct at this crisis of his ministry may at first sight appear hard to discover, but on calm reflection they are clear and plain. He knew that the time had come when he was to die for sinners on the cross. His work as the sacrifice for sin and substitute for sinners was about to be accomplished. But before giving himself up as a sacrifice, he desired to draw the attention of the whole Jewish nation to himself. It was right that the eyes of all Israel should be fixed upon him. This great thing was not to be done in a corner. Jesus wants everybody to know that he is here so that when he dies, it can't be denied afterwards. The authorities can't kind of secretly arrest him, take him off, uh, murder him in a corner. He wants everybody to know that he is there. And it works. He forces their hands. Verse 47. Every day Jesus was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Jesus forces their agenda. This is when he wants to die. This is now. This is the time. This is the place. Jerusalem is the place. The place and time of his death. And now he has the religious leaders exactly where he wants them. They want to kill him, but they can't find an opportunity to do so. And so all Jesus needs to do when the time comes is press the button and send Judas to them and then everything will happen just as he decided. The true king powerfully arranging all things, even the place and time of his death. The king of the Jews will die in Jerusalem. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world will die at Passover. Well, why? Why does he do this? Well, we see it in verse 41. It is Jesus' compassion. It is his love. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. It is Jesus' compassion his love for us that causes him to arrange the circumstances for his own death. At Jesus' birth, the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And now the crowd sing, verse 38, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus could have ridden into Jerusalem on a war horse with his power as God, with the whole of the Jewish nation at his side. He could easily have kicked the Romans out and established the greatest empire the world has ever seen. But that was too small a vision. He wanted to establish a global peace. And again, Zechariah points us forward to that. God says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be broken. So there will be peace in Jerusalem, but then he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. Jesus came to bring peace, but not a military peace, a peace enforced by military power, but peace in heaven between God and humanity. And it is the very rejection of the Pharisees, the rulers of the law that Jesus has engineered, that Jesus has forced in this moment, that will enable Jesus to bring peace between God and man as he dies for our sins. And one day, Jesus will come on a mighty war horse. The book of Revelation tells us that Jesus will come in his glory with his Father's angels to establish true global world peace. And we see then in this passage as Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, a love not only for his disciples, but a love for everyone. A love even for those who will reject. Jerusalem has rejected him and yet he loves it. Verse 41 again, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And down to the end of verse 44, this will happen because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus has that love for those who will reject him. Jesus has that love for all, but it's not a soft, sentimental love. It is a love where he wishes that they would have repented, that they would have turned he says there, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Well, what is it that will bring peace between God and man? It is repentance and faith, turning to the Lord Jesus. Turning to the Lord Jesus as King, as Saviour and Lord, as ruler and rescuer. And that is why the Pharisees refused to accept him because to accept Jesus would have meant sacrificing their place, sacrificing their right to determine their way of worshipping, to determine their way of life, to determine their values. And so often it is true for many of us as well. To turn to Jesus and to accept Jesus as king means accepting him as ruler over our time, over our money, over our values, over our morality, our sexual activity, our relationships, our priorities, our loves. Even for those of us here who have said, I accept Jesus as King, 
So often we accept him as rescuing king. We're grateful for what he has done for us in taking away our sin. But then we do not like to live with him as Lord. We do not like to live with him day to day as ruler. But as we see here, he is a compassionate ruler. He is a ruler not motivated by padding his own war chest, by plumping up his own ego, by ruling for his gain, but for our gain. He lays down his life for us and his rules are for our good, that we may live well in this world. If there is a king who loves us like this, how much should we want to live for and love him? Well, we are a mixed group every week at St. Helens of people in different places in the journey of faith. And so, for any here who are not yet trusting Christ as saviour, not yet trusting Christ as rescuer, that you yourself would not say, Jesus is my king. Well, this passage, there is warning here. Jesus loves us and he longs for us to turn. He says to us today, if you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? And he said to Jerusalem, this destruction that came upon them, and it is a true destruction. Jesus here is looking forward to AD 70, when the Romans came in and did exactly what Jesus says they would do here. They surrounded Jerusalem, they built a barricade, they came up and they tore it down so that barely one stone was left upon another. But that is looking forwards to, that is like a preview, a trailer of the final destruction. When Jesus returns on that war horse and the world will be separated, sheep on the one side, goats on the other, those who have trusted Christ, those who have accepted him as king, and then those who have not. And Jesus says, we need to recognize the time of God's coming to us. And for many of us, in some ways, being here, being in the room week by week and hearing of Christ's love for us, hearing of his good kingship, is receiving his visitation. We hear his word here in the Bible. Will we turn and will we trust? But also for those of us who may have been following for many years, are we continuing to walk with Jesus as our king day by day? as our ruler. A friend of mine once said, if Jesus is not your king, then he's not your saviour. If he's not your Lord, then he's not your friend. We need to accept Jesus both as saviour, but also as king. And as always, that's not to say that if we fail, if we sin at any point, he is a forgiving king but it is good to live under him as ruler. He is our compassionate king. And then lastly, do we share Jesus' compassion? As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. If we have accepted Jesus as our king, as we look around our lives, as we look around at friends, family, colleagues, at our society more generally, at our 
city and how much it could be said of our city if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Everyone wants peace. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of life, satisfaction, knowing that our past is forgiven, that our future is secure, knowing in the moment that we are loved. And Jesus offers that to us. And as we look around at our city, many of whom reject that, do we ever weep over that? Do we ever think of friends, family who do not know Christ? And does it hurt us? Does it break our hearts as it broke the Lord Jesus' heart? We should pray for a heart like Jesus's for those that we love who do not know. And then, of course, pray that we might have opportunity to witness to them, that we might have opportunity to share this love with others. Well, it's our time. As we close, let me pray that we would have this heart of compassion and that we also might follow, might walk in the good under the good rule of our rescuer and king. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a good king. Thank you for your love for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still far off, you came and met us and drew us to yourself. Thank you for your death in our place, that we might have peace, peace with God, peace in our hearts, and when you return, peace forevermore. And we pray that you would give us that heart of compassion for all who do not know you. And Father, we pray for our community at this time. As we come up to Easter once again, would you turn the hearts of many to you, and bring them into your good kingdom. And we pray that for your glory. Amen.